This episode of Landmine Radio is sponsored by Dittman Research. Do you know what the most valuable thing in the world is? High-quality information. Because high-quality information informs much better decision-making. Dittman Research has been providing high-quality information to Alaska's leading businesses, organizations, and campaigns for 50 years. Do you really know what Alaskans think about your company or your issue? How about your clients, your shareholders, or your employees? So stop fumbling around in the dark. Hire Dittman Research and find out what's really going on. DittmanResearch.com Very happy to be back here with uh, my buddy Frank Bickford, lobbyist Frank Bickford. How you doing? Good, man. How are you? Pretty good. I've, I've, uh, I knew you know your son Taylor for a long time, and yep, I always knew who you were, like the name, but I didn't really get to know you till I guess a couple of years ago when I first came to Juno. Uh, so you're one of the kind of the lobbyist people see used to see in the Capitol, at least you know it's yeah back when the Capitol we could get in the Capitol, but the uh, the, the, the kind of I don't know it, it's. I'm in there because of the press thing, you know, but it's it's kind of so different. There's no there's no people in there, no lobbyists, no nope. public, no nobody. So it's not nearly as you know fun as it's been the last couple of years. No, it's very different. Uh, you know, my office is down the street and uh, across from the Baranoff. So at least I'm down here, and you know we have legislators come by, or you know we meet with them um, and staff. Uh, but it's definitely different. It's not as easy and not as accessible to chat with those folks. And then we have Zoom. Lots of Zoom. You know, I just had a Zoom. I'm on my condo board, and we just we've been doing our con, you know quarterly meetings on Zoom for a year. And the guy, the property manager, just made this comment. He's like, "Well, because we we're having a meeting in June, our next meeting." And I kind of joked, "Oh, we'll be in person." And they're like, "No, we like we prefer I prefer Zoom. It's so much easier." I think a lot of people are going to keep doing the Zoom, I, and I don't like it really. I'd prefer to be in person. Absolutely. But I think a lot of people are going to keep doing the Zoom thing. They're getting used to it. Because, you know, you don't have to leave and you can, it's a little easier. You don't have to get superly dressed up. You mm-hmm. can kick back, have a cup of coffee or a glass of wine and, and do a meeting, you know, saw, so it's different. I saw this funny thing. It was, it was like last year, it was, um, this guy was like a, it was a professional Zoom meeting and he, he had, what he had done is he had put up a, a, a poster of himself looking like he was kind of like, you know, like paying attention. Right. And he was, the thing fell over and he was sitting on the couch with no shirt on. It was like a business, you know? Oh my goodness! So there's been some weird stories. Oh, uh, there's been some weird, some stories. weird ones. We, we we won't go there. But anyways, like that Tubin guy is the most interesting yeah. one. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah. So uh, we flew back uh, last week on the on the plane. We took a shared a cab, and I started talking to you a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that's why I wanted to get you on the podcast, man. You have some kind of wild. We all have a story how we got here. Sure, you weren't born here, and I want to talk about your story and some of the stories you told me. Um, you came here. What, in the, it was, it was 80 or 70s? I came here in 1980. I, uh, just to go back in time, I was born in Miami. I grew up in New York, uh, Long Island, New York City. And I, I went to college in upstate New York, State University of New York at Brockport, which is right near Rochester, New York. I majored in political science. I also minored in broadcasting. I wanted to be a sportscaster. I wanted to be Marv Albert. He was you, a got famous, the, you got the voice for it. He was a famous hockey guy. And, oh, I, know, uh, yeah, I know Marv. And so, uh, but I stuck to politics, um, did a lot of campaigns in college, uh, helping candidates who were running in the state of New York. Um, and then when I graduated, this is going to show my age, Jeff, in 1979, you probably weren't even born. Were you? I was born in 84. I'm, I'm, when was Taylor born? He was right around the corner. Probably same there. time. Yep, yeah. Yep, yeah we're same age. So, uh, did that and, um, I saw this, this 
person who was running for president. I had heard about him before. His name was John Connolly. He was the governor of Texas. He was the guy in the car with mm-hmm. President Kennedy. Kennedy, yeah, he was. Yep. And he was a Democrat, but he'd switched parties. He became a Republican, and he ran in the 1980 primaries for president. There was Ronald Reagan, George Bush, Alexander Haig, several other candidates. So I got out of college. Back then, we didn't have internet. We didn't have cell phones. I and typed a letter. I said, hey, man, I would like to work in your campaign. They responded. You just cold sent John Conley just a letter. Just cold sent it. And then they... Uh, and, and Reagan had run in 76. He did. And then he didn't get it. So then th- this was like... And there was the Iran hostage crisis. Yep. There was the high prices of... I mean, there was all this stuff going on. All this stuff going Carter, on. Carter, all, you know. It was a crazy time. You just, and, you just sent him a letter? I just sent him a letter. Typed it in a type on, on <laughs> Hi, I'm Frank. I want to do politics. I'm Frank. Or- this is I just graduated. This is I you know I I got a BA in poli sci. I'd be love to work for you. So they interviewed me. I, I went to DC. Um, their offices was actually in, in Arlington, Virginia, and they hired me. And I for the next five months I worked for the Connolly campaign and I did a bunch of stuff on the South. And so um, it was back then. What was, your, what was your role? Were you just like a campaign? I was a rover. I did every, I did, uh, so we did a lot of targeting, which means we needed to figure out how many votes we needed in each district, in each state. And then I did a lot of scheduling as well um, on, the on the campaign trail. Get the, you can get the, get the phone there. Is that your ringer? <laughs> Sounds like a ticking time bomb. Yeah, something. really. So, uh, so anyway, I, I did that, I, and it was a, it was an amazing campaign in the sense that the people that worked on that campaign were the following: Jim Brady, who was Connolly's press secretary and later became Reagan's press secretary. That's Brady Bill guy, right? That's Brady. Got shot. Yeah. Uh, Haley Barber. Oh. Who, who he was involved in the campaign as well. You, you, did you like interact with him? I interacted with those guys quite a bit because I was the young guy and I was the guy that would do all these different issues or, you know, Bickford, uh, we got to go switch a bunch of tapes in Georgia. We had a mix up in North Carolina. The North Carolina uh, TV stations got the Georgia tapes. You got to go switch them, Th- that kind of stuff. Other stuff was, you know, putting together an event where Connolly would appear and speak. Have you, you, you had done no, pol- I mean, you had the political science degree, political but you, had, science you hadn't worked in campaign. Didn't work in campaigns ever. Wow. And so I, I kind of learned a lot at a, at a high level. And another guy that was involved in the campaign was Mead Treadwell. Now, I didn't know Mead because I'd never been to Alaska at this point, right? So Mead was the press secretary to Nellie Connolly, who was John's wife. So he would travel with Nellie, but we would see each other in the South during campaign stops. So Really? So How'd you, when did you learn that? I mean, late, much later? Or? No, what's, what, what happened was... I'm going to fast forward uh, when I so after the campaign, unfortunately, Connolly lost um, Reagan won. And Connolly is f- famous for the fact that he spent at that time 12 million bucks, which back then was a ton of money. And he got one delegate and her name was Ida Mills from Arkansas. Wow. Oh, my gosh. One delegate. And campaigns over a couple of the guys said hey bigford you want to go to alaska and work on a campaign i go alaska yeah sure and you're, and you're like this like new york kind of right brooklyn brooklyn you said or uh long island you're like it's long island yeah alaska i've never ever even imagined you, you probably were familiar with the pipeline stuff i guess right a little or, bit a little bit because that was when that was finished being built so what they send you to alaska for so they sent me to a primary in 1980 and that's when... It was a Murkowski primary, right? It was a Murkowski primary. Uh, Clark Greening beat Mike Ravel in, in the Democratic primary. And so there was an open seat. Basically. And I, I, I've 
uh, read a lot about that time period. Um, the Republicans were actually pushing for Clark um, because they th- figured he'd be easier to beat than than Gravel, who was already you know that was a second right. term, right? And so Clark Greening, who was Ernest Greening's grandson, right? Who who Clark or who Gravel beat in '68. So it's kind of a weird, very very ironic. And then, and then right? Matt Matt Greening works in the Capitol yep. right now. Yeah, he I works know for Matt Speaker Stutes. So we share some stories, Matt and I share some stories. So, so Clark, though, have you ever seen the movie with Robert Redford, the candidate? I've seen that, yeah. So Clark was a lot like Robert Redford, young, energetic. They would show him running down the street, shaking hands. And he became a serious contender because he just was a lot better candidate than people thought he would be. So my guy lost to Murkowski in a primary. Who was your guy? So he ended up Art Kennedy. And Art Kennedy at the time was the chief of staff to Congressman Don Young. And so the day after the primary, I, I was going, I'm not going back to New York yet. I need to stay in Alaska. So I went next door uh, down the block and I knocked on the Murkowski campaign and a guy named Bill McConkie, who is a very well-known political character and consultant, he hired me and I did a bunch of press stuff on the Murkowski campaign. Wait, so this is August, 1980? This is uh, about August of 1980. Wait, so, so you were working for his opponent, he lost, and, they hired and then me. you went to the... Murkowski and they hired you. Right. Wow. You just went to I need a job. I want to keep working. I want to keep working. And, you know, Lisa Murkowski to this day, it says, you know, he could, she goes, Frank, I remember when you worked for my dad's opponent. How old was she then? She must have been pretty young. She was in her twenties. And so was I, I was up, I was about 25. Wow. So, so then, and then Murkowski beat, uh, Greening. So Murkowski beat Greening. And, um, then I went to work for Murkowski in Washington, DC. I was a special rep for the Senator. But after about four months, I it just didn't work out. The money was low, and the and the living cost in Washington D.C. were high. It's still, I mean, I've I've had a couple one time somebody you know this idea came up to go work there, and, and I was oh, a little curious about it. And unless you're like one of the top staffers, exactly. these people make like thirty or forty grand yeah. or something. It's yeah. very low. And then you know most people want to live in D.C., which is super expensive. Yep. I don't actually know how most of those young people live because it's they, they live probably five, six to a house. You know, I think that or they're, they, you know, they come from wealthy families and, and they can afford to do it. Mm-hmm. It's a great experience. I know some staffers whose parents are, yeah, like you said, connected, wealthy, and sure. they, they get them a place to stay. And Yeah, and I didn't have that opportunity, but it was a great experience. And, you know, the senator, uh, you know, we remain close friends to this day. So what happened was I got an offer after the fourth month I was there. Uh, so McConkie, the consultant, who had run Murkowski's campaign was running a guy named Joe Hayes, who at that time was Speaker of the House. He's not the Joe Hayes from Fairbanks today. He's, he's right. the Joe the, Hayes from the 80s. This is a guy Wendy ended up, Chamberlain p- right. picked up his kind of lobbying business later, right. right? So when I got hired, so this race was, was between Joe Hayes and Tony Knowles. So Tony Knowles was the chairman of the Anchorage Assembly. Joe Hayes at that time had a 25-point lead. About a week or two after... Was it a, was it a new mayor? Was it... Uh, it was an open seat. So somebody who termed out or whatever? Right. And so... Uh, who was... Was it Fink or was that... No, no. Else? It, yeah, it, was, it was Sullivan, I believe. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah that's right. That's it was right. George Sullivan. So Joe Hayes had a great uh, amount of money, a lot of donations, doing well. But interesting, the Chamber of Commerce hosted a debate, not between the candidates but between the campaign managers. So you told me that in the cabin. I was like, why would they? I've never even heard of something like that. Yeah. Normally the campaign managers are like, stay behind the scenes. You know? Right, right. But this, you know, they, they needed to fill some, some, some space and they decided this would be interesting. And it turned out to be very interesting because 
there was a roundtable discussion, and one of the questions was, what would you do for your candidate when things were going really bad? What would you do for your candidate? And they went around the table, and you know, a, a certain manager said, hey, I, mean, I'd, I'd try my best. We'd work a plan out to figure it out. We would get to where we need to go. Bill McConkey, who was the manager for Joe Hayes, said, I will lie, I will cheat, and I will steal for Joe. Right? Oh God. Oh so this God. is back when we had not only the Anchorage Daily News, we had the Anchorage Times. Mm-hmm. So we had two papers, banner headlines, a solid week, and the campaign just started to evaporate. So the 25-point lead went down to almost zero. So they, the campaign was run by McConkie, but also a committee. And... McConkie left. He just took off. He, he, he just disappeared, right, during this whole controversy. and um, Just going like hiding. So they fired him. And the problem was that, Joe, that, that McConkie was a very smart political strategist. However, he made a major mistake that day. But he put together a campaign plan that they wanted to follow. And they went around the table and they said, we got to send somebody and find McConkie. Let me see. Who are we going to pick? Because he, he still had the plan with him. He had the plan with him. He said, we're going to pick. The youngest guy here who hasn't been here this long, it's going to be Frank Bickford. I'm like, uh, great. So they go, you need to go find him. We know he went hunting. Find him. So we figured out through one of the flying services that McConkie had hired them. So I went with the, with the flying service. They dropped me off about an hour outside of Anchorage. And I land on this little you know, piece of land in the middle of nowhere. I'm from New York. I have no idea where the hell I'm at. I don't know anything about guns. Were you like dressed for it, or I, I don't even remember. Okay, it was it, it was bizarre. So, I so they dropped me off. There's a tent, and I go in the tent, and I'm hoping McConkie's there. He's not there, but there's a very large gun, and I grab it and I start oh walking God. through the freaking, you know, through this whole forest. So woods. an hour in like a little bush plane or a little like yeah, a, you know, like a cub or something. That's that's pretty. I mean, you're you're far away from right. people from civilization. You know, oh, average. Yeah. And so I start walking, and I start yelling, McConkie, McConkie. About 20 minutes later, I hear a voice come back at me, and he says, Bickford, get out of here. There are bears everywhere. So I immediately turn around. I run back to the tent, about 10, 15 minutes outside the tent. And I get to the tent, and I go, shit. I, you know, I said, I lost McConkie's gun, which is not good, and I'm just going to wait for McConkie. Was so it a Mc- pistol or a rifle? It was a pistol. <laughs> so McConkie came back and I told him, he says, well, first of all, you owe me a lot of money for that pistol. Secondly, you can have the campaign plan. And that was it. Was it with him in the tent? It was in the tent. He had kept it in the tent. Oh my God. So I got it, went back to the campaign. It, it was too late. Joe lost that race, um, unfortunately. And um, I then started to look for new work. And so at that time. So at that point, did you decide I, I kind of like Alaska? I want to oh, stay yeah. here? Yeah. And there was a lot of opportunity campaigns, and, and I was, you know, starting to, to do that. And so there was, a, uh, there was an attorney named Fritz Pettyjohn. Oh, he, he's still around. He called into a meeting a few weeks ago and tes- 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 testified about a think, permanent fund thing. So even though McConkie disappeared and, you know, just got embattled in this, in this mayor's race, he still had a firm, and it was pretty well known. And so he was running about 10 campaigns. And so Fritz was one of his candidates. I worked for Fritz. He won. And I came to Juneau when I was his aide. He was a senator? or rep- He was a senator, state senator. Um, and so I did that for several years. Um, and so what, you were in Anchorage. Uh, probably hadn't been to Juneau at that point, I imagine, right? Never. So then he wins and you get a job in Juneau. And right. you come to Juneau. Right. 
So you're 20, you're like early 20s. Yep. And you're all over Alaska. Yep. Wow. Yeah. And then uh, two years later, Don Young, who was running for re-election, um, I was hired as a campaign manager for Don Young, statewide campaign manager. What was it, 84? It was 84. And he uh, was running against Peggy Begich, the mother of Tom and Mark and, and the other children. And so the, 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 um, she was the wife, the of, widow of, um, of, of Nick, Nick, Baggage. Nick, Baggage. Nick Baggage. So, uh, Don was in the minority, so he couldn't travel back here that much. And so I had to fill in for everything up for Don. And so there was a, there's a church and I don't remember the name of the church near the park strip and they held a debate. And so I was Don Young's guy and Peggy Baggage was there. In the front row were Mark. Well, you were like the fill-in for Don? You were yeah. like debating her? For everything, yes. What? Yes. Okay? That's wild. And Mark and Tom were in the front row. They were young. They were teenagers, right? And so the big Democratic challenge to Young was he's never here, and he misses a ton of votes. And she started, so Peggy Beggage said that. And I, of course, have to defend Don. And I said, well, let me say, let me say this. He is in the minority. But when he comes to Alaska, obviously he's going to miss votes. But he can't be at both places at the same time. And so I said, Miss Begich, you're, you're a liar. Whoa. And uh, it got very heated, and the debate ended, and it, it went well. The, the, the funny thing is I became very good friends years later with Tom and Mark. And I'm friends with them to this day. Yeah, I mean, Tom's senator right now. He's in the he's building. Senator, so. yeah, he's a great guy. Uh, so, you know, that's a little bit of the campaign stories. I'll give you a funny story, another McConkie story. So we had a slew of candidates, right? And one of the candidates, um, was a guy named Charlie Bustle. So there's a, Oh, I've heard of that name. What do I know that name? I know that name. So Bustle Electric was a big company in Anchorage for many years. And that's probably what you remember about. So he was running against an incumbent named Joyce Munson. And it was one of the first years of the permanent fund, the check. And McConkie said to me, he said, Bickford, I need you to, when you get your permanent fund check, I want you to go to a local artist, one of these, you know, print shops, and I want you to get the check copied. I want the same colors on it. I go, I go, Bill, what, what, why? He says, don't ask any questions, just get it done. So I came back with this fake check, okay? Back then, debates on KAKM TV were, were very highly viewed. Not like today. People don't really watch so that. Like the running debate thing? No, it was the running debate. Yeah. So Charlie Bustle, our candidate, and Joyce Munson, a Democratic incumbent. And the deal was, McConkie said, here's what we're going to do. We're cutting this piece of art, and we're going to make it look like a check, and Charlie's going to put it in his pocket. And about 40 seconds before the cameras go on, he's going to pull it out, and he's going to look at Joyce and say, Joyce, you know, I don't believe in this permanent fund. I think it's baloney i think it's it's absolutely terrible and i just don't like it and he takes it and he tears it up in pieces <laughs> the camera goes on joyce munson doesn't know what to do she 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 doesn't even know what to say she's flustered not that that was the reason why charlie won but charlie won that race mcconkey was well a, you probably got you got in her head right before the thing right. camera goes on and mcconkey was so brilliant at tactics campaign tactics tactics um, you know, he, he just did a lot of different things in his career. Um, I've, d I, I've done some campaign stuff and one time we sent a really crazy mailer. It was like way out there. Sure. We sent it to every, um, basically every neighbor of the, of the person. So we sent it to like 20 houses just around them. You know, so it was very, so it was like, 
<laughs> you know, as far as all the neighbors, like, did you see this thing? And they have no idea if it was 20 people or, you know, 10,000 sure, people. Sure. Uh, you know, campaign tactics back then were, were interesting to say the least. But, uh, you know, that's that's what I did. I did some other campaigns. I um, was able to uh, get into what they call grassroots politics. I did a lot of grassroots work. Oh, you got to tell me the story about the uh, seatbelt, the seatbelt thing. You bet. So this, this is a good one you told me in the car. So I got then I got hired. Um, by the Alaska Safety Belt Use Coalition back in the 80s. And at that time, there were only like maybe 10 states that had seatbelt laws. This is in the early 80s or mid-80s, right? So I became their executive director. And, and this was like through your kind of political connections? Through or? political connections. And I, I did it. And it, was, it, was a, you know, it was a fun job. I held it for five years. It took five years to get the bill through. We had gone through a couple of lobbyists. We had hired a couple of lobbyists. And our final lobbyist was Joe Hayes, who had had run for mayor years mm-hmm. before he became a lobbyist and he, he helped get it through. The interesting story was at the same time I'm doing that in my third year, of the seatbelt coalition, I get a call from RJ Reynolds tobacco. They start a program called smokers rights. And what that was about was getting smokers to fight for their rights. This is like, thank you for smoking movie. A little bit. <laughs> and so my job was to coordinate five states. How, how dare you tell me what I can or can't do? Exactly. <laughs> so my job was to uh, coordinate, uh, you know, get these folks to do uh, letters to the legislature, do talk radio, uh, do, you know, fundraisers, golf, you know, golf fundraisers for, for different causes. I did that in five so, states. So you're like saving lives with the seatbelt. And you're promoting the smoke. <laughs> so what happened was uh, I went to Fairbanks on the um, on the seatbelt campaign, and I was talking to a, you know to a pretty crowded room, and uh, and so actually it was with it was for the smokers' rights campaign, not the seatbelt campaign, and it's Fairbanks and very conservative, way much more conservative back then, and somebody in the back of the room rose their hand and says, "Yeah, damn it, you know." They're taking our rights away, and this, this stupid seatbelt effort's going on. So, <laughs> you're, I about, you're the so I about, you know, I just kind of looked around the room. We were almost done. I said, everybody, it's been great. Uh, you know, just keep in touch, and let's, you know, get out there and organize. And I got out of town real quick. So, so they didn't know you were the seatbelt guy? They did not. Were you a smoker? No. Oh, man. So, <laughs> so they just cold called you, or they said, we need somebody to... What happened? Well, I didn't mention. I so I I was a I was a campaign person for Bob Dole. I was his uh, state director when he ran in, in back in the nineties, and so I had met some people who for were president working, for president. Oh, so that was ninety six or no, right. ninety four, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So ninety six and so, ninety six, ninety six, yeah, and right. um, uh, so some people in that were part of the this whole smokers' right movement, and they said we need consultants, so they hired me, and that's how I got that gig. So, so did you? So you've basically been in Alaska since you got here in the 80s? Like- 1980, yep. And um, uh, so I did a lot of political campaigns, Jeff. And then eventually I did a lot of grassroots work. And then eventually I just it just got to the point where it got, you know, kind of difficult because you're busy for two years and then you're not busy. Right? Mm-hmm. So I decided uh, in the year 2000, I thought, you know what? I want to try lobbying. And I've been doing it ever since. And uh, I get along with both sides of the aisle. You got to in this business, right? And um, it's been a fun, fun time, but I do miss my campaign days when I was younger, back in the 80s. So 21 years doing lobbying. Yep. Wow. So, so you know, n- now there's all this stuff going on, um, permanent fund, all these issues and the budget. But in the 80s, I mean, there was, it was pretty bad, right? I mean, the, when the, the same issue. When the really. crash hit. Sure. You had oil issues. You had PFD issues, crime. Um, you know, nothing much has changed except the players, right? Mm-hmm. So there, there's different players. 
There's different politics today. Campaigns today are so different than they were 30, you know, 20 years ago or even 10 years ago. Um, you know, we did, we had volunteers stuff envelopes. We had volunteers go door to door. Today you have social media. You've got, you know, fencing. You have the, so different campaign tactics than you had back then, you know. And so um, that's what, you know, that has changed. Um, the politics have changed a little bit in terms of, uh, of uh, it's just not the same as it was back then with the Democrats and Republicans and independents. It's a little more v- uh, vocal these days. But uh, the bottom line is, um, like I said, a lot of the same issues, just different players. So, so one thing I hear from a lot of people, and I've only, you know, I kind of got involved in 2010, 11 in Alaska politics, but I've only been in Juneau. It's my third year now. But they said back in, you know, the 80s and 90s, up until kind of recently, people would come down here, they'd kind of stay here for the whole session, really. Maybe the families would come, the kids sure. would go to school. Sure. It was, and now it's like a lot of folks, COVID's a little bit different, but a lot of people just go back on Friday or Thursday and they come back in month. So they're kind of, it's not as, is that how it used to be a lot more? People would just stick around or? Not necessarily. I, I think that uh, there was the same problem of trying to, you know, maintain two, you know, places to live. It was rough on families, right? And so I think some legislators maybe back then tried to have the families down here, but it was tough. So you were here, um, you were a staffer during, I guess, Sheffield, right? When Sheffield was governor? Yeah. I've heard a lot of stories about him. That, that must have been a <laughs> fun time. Yeah, there was the impeachment uh, of him. Um, I did a podcast with Andy Josephson a couple of years ago, and sure. his dad was... Joe Josephson, who, he was, I, who I remember well. He was kind of uh, defend, defending um, uh, Sheffield in the Senate. Because in Alaska, they, they impeach in the Senate, and then the House has the trial. It's opposite. Well, and what they did is they, which is really interesting. So at the time, Tim Kelly was the president of the Senate, and he put together the whole impeachment apparatus. Mm-hmm. And they hired Sam Dash who was very famous. Sam Dash was the attorney on the Watergate hearings. They, they also hired that guy, Lacavera. Yes. From the Watergate. Yes. That's, that's what Joe told, or uh, Andy told me, all these Watergate guys were up here, New York Times yep. and uh, Washington Post and all these like people were up here for that. Oh, yeah. It was, it was televised, you know, here in the state, but it was picked up nationally, too. You were in the Capitol during all that? I was in the Capitol, yep. Man, it must have been... It was crazy. Crazy times. What about... Um, it's kind of like a couple of obscure figures, you know, in Alaska politics... I say Mike Gravel because most people don't really. But Cooper, this governor, Cooper, Steve Cooper, yeah. he doesn't really. I don't know. You know, people know people know Sheffield. Obviously, they they know uh, Hickel, Knowles, uh, Hammond. But this guy Cooper, right in the middle, he just kind of he's not really that well. Maybe because he left. Well, because you know he he was from Fairbanks. He was a state he was a state rep, and he everybody thought he didn't have a shot. You know, to become governor, right? He was and Democrat, right? He was a Democrat. And he took, and so he, uh, so he ran and never forget one of the ads they did, he was on a horse and he had a cowboy hat on <laughs> in the middle of downtown Anchorage. And he what? had this Southern accent all of a sudden, right? So Steve Cooper, who, uh, the, the way I was told, you know, it was Cowper, but it became Cooper. Yeah. Cause it's spelled C-O-W-P-E-R. Right. They all call him, yeah, everybody calls him Cooper. Right. Right. So he won and almost... I don't know how fast it was in his in his first term. Maybe his first his first year or half of the year, he announced he wasn't going to run again. Well, someone told me that when he 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 won and it was eighty six, um, and then right after that, kind of you know the crash really started to go go off. And I guess he said he said something publicly right after the he was elected 
And he basically said, you know, as far as the campaign, all bets are off. Right. And I'm not going to run again. Everybody was like, what? But who was telling me? I was talking to somebody about that. I'm trying to remember who it was. But they they said he actually got quite a bit done. He did a lot of stuff. That's what that's what some folks say. But I think, you know, it is a true fact that a lot of people don't really remember Steve Cooper. But he was he was, you know, he uh, he was a hard worker and uh, He he had a rough one. I mean, he had the crash happen. Yep. And then the Exxon Valdez happened. Mm-hmm. Where were you when that happened? I was here. In Juneau? I was probably in Anchorage at that time. Someone yeah. told me um, there was a finance meeting going on at the Senate finance meeting. They came in there and they said, something happened to, with this ship or this oil tanker. We, we should probably look into it or something. We should turn the radio on. And then, you know. The rest is history, right? It was it was a big, big deal. And uh, yeah, so Alaska's been interesting. I, I've been here since 1980 and uh it's it's been fun and um you know it just every year's different you know we get like i said in in the legislature on the campaign side i know i haven't worked in campaigns in 22 years so um, i just watch it from afar and, and you're 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 kind of one of the lobbyists you're just on your own or it's just you just me so some of them have partners or firms some, sure but you're just kind of so you you um when you first started, did you have some people you knew that say, I'm going into lobbying, I want to... I did, I, you know, so when I first started, I got, I had one client at a very low number, but I wanted to get into the business. Um, it was called the Alaska Restaurant and Beverage Association. And like char, kind of like a char it thing? It was like or? a char offshoot. Um, they, had, they had gone away from char. And so I took that gig, and within two or three weeks... Um, they're, I, they're still around, right? Isn't that Abraham or no? Yeah. So he's part of, it's called uh, the Alaska Hospitality Retailers. Right. That's the Gallo's guy. Yeah. The Gallo guy. Um, well, it, there's more folks too. There's, you know, there's, there's the fast food folks are in that group. Is that, is that your client? They, they have been my client. Because I remember a couple of years ago, there was a little thing at the salt. Right. And I went to that. It was, it was a reception. Yeah. A lot of fun. Yeah. So they have, uh, you know, they have Lucky Wishbone, you know, a lot of the small operators, Fire Tap. Um, and so they're, they're a much smaller organization, but I had them as a client. And then several weeks later, I got a call from Brown and Williamson tobacco, um, through another guy of my past grassroots days. So I got them as a client. And then, uh, near the end of that first year, right before session ended, I got a call from the ophthalmologist. And so, um, you still have them, don't you? I do. They're my longest running client. And what happened was. The optometrist had passed a bill. It was a scope of practice bill. And these guys called me and, and they said, we need to get a veto. And I said, guys, you know, it was a massive vote against you guys. It was 38 to 2 in favor of the optometry bill in the house. So the optometrist and the ophthalmologist, they have like a thing or? They do. Okay. It's, a, it's all about scope of practice. The optometrists want to do some of the same things that ophthalmologists do, but they, don't, but they haven't gone to medical school. So there's a fight. Okay. In every state. So what happened was I said, you know, I'd love to work for you, but I'm going to be honest with you. It's going to be tough. But if you want to pay me to represent you, I will try to get that veto. And uh, the funny thing about that story is that Tony Knowles was governor. And I always thought that Tony and I, since I worked against him in the mayor's race, oh, it was probably the, wasn't going to be very happy with, with the Joe Hayes thing in yeah. 1981. But, but we provided him with enough info and the fact that my, that the ophthalmologist opposed this bill, but they didn't have a lobbyist during the whole fight. They just got one now. So legislators said, hey, we never heard from you guys, right? So we, they heard from us then. Tony vetoed the bill. And um, the optometrists have gotten some of the things that they wanted throughout the years, but that was one of my first clients. 
Yeah, it's kind of the thing I've noticed, and I've, I've heard that before. People, uh, whether it's an organization or an industry, something happening, and they don't maybe they don't know it's happening, and then they realize it's happening. And sometimes you'll have I've kind of noticed that before, where some group will come down here, and I've I've heard them in the you know the public lounge, and they say we we talked to right. thirty legislators, and we, they heard our they you know, and then they think and they think they've got it done, right? But, but it's so nuanced, who to talk to and how to talk to them, and it's it's um you know I think some there's a, sometimes lobbyists get a bad rap, you sure, know, but I think it's it's a very necessary part of, of how this thing even well, sure you got to have you, you got to have boots on the ground you got to have people that know staff no legislators things change four or five times a day right so if you don't have a lobbyist you're probably flying you know you're flying blind really and so i not to, to be selfish on this but it's important to have a lobbyist there's a lot of good lobbyists out here well, I mean, i've been so. here this, this is my third year uh, in juno you know full time and it took me I and mean, i'm still learning i mean i don't even i got a lot to learn but it took me probably the first session of being here every day you know for, for three or four months just to get like a i mean a basic understanding some people come here for a week they have the fly-ins yep you know and that's you, you it takes it takes a month to even know where the meetings are sure what where the room what, what rooms where and then right kind of figuring out who's kind of who, who's controls what stuff and mm-hmm. um it just it takes and I, I used to kind of think when i first ran for office in 2012 i had this like you know, we need to get all new legislators. We need to get all new legislators and just kick them all out, and it'll, it'll be better. And what I've seen lately, especially this year, but two years ago, they elected a lot of new people. Sure. And those people had never been staffers. They had never been mm-hmm. really at Juno. And it's it's an interesting – I mean, it takes a long time to to figure figure just how the basic things work. Absolutely. It's a very interesting game, and, you know, you know it just depends on, on the on the particular session who's, you know, who's in power and – what expertise they have, and and you, you know you get some folks that don't have any background, right? But then you have the guy, you have the folks that do have the background. So that is important in governing because you know you got to know all the different uh, you know aspects of governing, and if you don't, you, you could have a problem. Mm-hmm. So it takes time for some to to learn it, but once they do, um, did, you know they they do a good job. Did you? Um, I know Ashley Reed came here in like '82 for the show. Did you know Ashley back then? I did. Oh man! So he he was running the Sheffield campaign, and right. I was running a, a lieutenant governor's campaign back there. Mike Coletta, who ran with Fink. So my guy. Yeah, I don't even know that name. Yeah, no. so he's not. He he actually passed away about four years ago, but he was a state senator, and he won the primary. But you have to run a ticket in the general, mm-hmm. and Fink was very controversial, and um, Sheffield beat him. And so that's when Ashley came to town, I believe, from Maryland. And he got yeah, Maryland in yeah. business. And uh, I'm trying to get Ashley to do a podcast because he has like, a lot of stories like you have. Oh, absolutely. Tons yeah, of stories. Absolutely has tons. So, how did so I don't know Taylor for a long time. I've known Taylor for over 10 years. He kind of followed your footsteps in consulting and politics. Is that kind of. Just- yeah, he, he, you know, he interned for, uh, for Lisa Murkowski. Uh, he also uh, he did some work for Carlos Gutierrez, who was the Secretary of Commerce under Bush. Mm-hmm. So, and then he, uh, I, he ran a campaign. He, he, you know, he worked for Bill Walker when he first ran for governor. And he ran the marijuana initiative, right? That was, he ran the marijuana initiative and I lobbied the marijuana initiative after it passed. Um, and then he went to work for strategies 360. So yep. he's, he's, and then I have my younger son, uh, Clark. Oh, I know him too. Not as well as Taylor, but I know him right. too. And so. he's more of a chef, but he's, he loves politics. He worked for he was a staffer, wasn't he? Yeah, he was a staffer down here, and uh, he was also he also worked in the lounge. You know, so he's like an assistant chef. Oh yeah, yeah. He, t- he told me that. Yeah. It's um. And then my daughter Paige, and she's uh, she's doing great in Spokane, and um, 
she's working in the medical field. So speaking of the marijuana, you remember when it passed? Remember that one hearing where they were passing the big pound of weed around? And there was that, that picture where Gabrielle's holding, Ladue's holding this big like pound of weed. And the- <laughs> well, they actually, one of the committees, one of the senators that was against the bill actually showed reefer madness from the 40s. Okay, saying that people were going to jump out of buildings. And this is only like five years ago. It's like, you guys are showing that movie? Are you serious? All right, Frank. Well, hey, it's been great. I love, I love doing the, the podcast with uh, people who have these history, you know, his, that was history fun. and these stories. And it was, you bet. Uh, it was great. So we'll, uh, we'll keep seeing you around. And hopefully right. once this, so. hopefully, you know, when COVID's over, they get the capital. I'm really hoping next year it's going to be back to normal. Oh, I think you know, it will be back by to next normal. year. Yeah. It's, it's got to yeah. be. So, all right. all right, Frank. Well, Frank Bickford. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it, buddy. Really enjoyed it. Uh, folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Landline, ring.